You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. So uh, we're going to get to uh, talk this morning about Radical Discipleship Part 2. We uh, got to hear uh, the first part of that last week, and we're just going to wrap that up today. And, uh, you know, for some reason, I feel like uh, as Christians, sometimes we categorize discipleship and kind of outreach and evangelism into two separate boxes in our minds. And uh, today we're going to see that they're not, they're the part of the same thing, and we have to kind of see them as the same thing and, and kind of address this question when we hear those scriptures that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why is it that there are so few workers? Well, what is the reason for that truth, for that statement? And we're going to get a chance to look at uh, Jesus' uh, strategy or process for us uh, to, as disciples to go out into the harvest. But really what we're going to talk about today is frogs and lizards. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the difference between how a frog and a lizard eats. But a frog, is this bothering you all? It's kind of bothering me. Is that, is that better? We'll see. Uh, but a frog, you know, it will eat its lunch by merely sitting in a spot, being patient, and waiting for some unlucky insect to just scurry by or fly by, and it will stick out its disgusting tongue, wrap it around its food, and reel it in and get its lunch. The lizard, on the other hand, has to go out and hunt for its lunch. Has to go out and search for it. Has to go find it. If it sits around like a lazy frog, it's just going to starve to death. You know, and uh, you know there are pastors in churches that are kind of like frogs, right? You think about this, right? So pastors they get to go off to seminary, they get the training, they get their Bible knowledge, they pass their exams, they get their title, they get a position on staff, they're on a church staff as a pastor, and all of a sudden the people are coming to them, right? They're coming so many that the plate of a pastor is often full. And there's sometimes even more than they can handle. They're overwhelmed with opportunities to help people and serve people and teach people. And so they have to find help, right? And, and so, you know, Derek, he makes a great frog. And, uh, you, you know, and, and for the rest of us, though, us mere laymen, you know, we're, uh, we're the kind of more like a lizard. We have to go out and, and find our opportunities. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, the message is for all of you lizards in the room, which is all of you. And we'll, I'll, I'll say this before we jump into this passage, that Jesus, he was both a frog and a lizard. Okay, he had people that came to him, but he also went out to others and uh, he sent his disciples to do the same. And it says this in uh, Luke 10. Verse 1 to 12, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And we, we look at this passage, and we're going to kind of unpack it as we, as we go through this morning. But we start off with this image of Jesus sending his disciples ahead of him to go and do this. And we have to know that everyone here is, is a believer, then you are also sent. You, you, are, you are told to go, just as we see in the beginning of this passage. But everyone in the room, believer or not, are in a different place perhaps in where they feel like they stand in their relationship with God. Not necessarily talking about salvation here, but more so about where your relationship with God is. How close do you feel to him right now? How close are you to him? Uh, do you have an intimate relationship with him, or do you feel maybe far from him? You know, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Paul Gibbs, he's the founder of the Pays Movement, Derek was just telling you about our Shapes Conference coming up. He's going to lead us on that Saturday and uh, focus on talking about conflict and collaboration, how we can work together to make an impact on this world as ministers, as believers. But it's going to be principles you can also learn and apply at work, how you can Get better get along with your colleagues at work or in your, in your family or in your, uh, in your school. You know, it's just going to be relationship principles. But in my time working with the Pays Movement, this is a, a session that uh, Paul taught me, some things that he taught me that I wanted to share with you. And uh, so that's where this came from this morning. And I'm just going to kind of unpack it a little bit. And um, I want to start out with this, uh, this image right here, this drawing of of this uh, circles here, and the, the J stands for what? Take a guess. Yes, sir. He goes 100% so far. So Jesus is at the center, as we love to say in Christian circles, and then you've got people. And these arrows represent different people, and you'll notice that some of the people are close to Jesus, and others are kind of further away from him. You'll also probably notice that some are moving in a direction that is coming towards him, and others are moving further away. And it's, and it's supported in Scripture, this idea, you know, when we look at verses like James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's this idea that we can draw closer to God. In Hebrews 7, 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. There's this drawing near to God that we see actually all throughout Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 10, 22 again says, Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith. Like there's this idea that our intimacy with God, our relationship with God, there are times where we feel close to Him and, and are spending time in the Word and in prayer and we just kind of have this just close relationship. We're aware of His presence. We feel His presence perhaps. And there are other times where we feel distant. And we're not maybe spending time in his word. We're not spending his time with his people. We're not learning about him. We're not making him our priority when we feel far from him. And my question for you this morning, if we can put the arrows back up here, is uh, which arrow are you? Which arrow are you right now? When you look at this and you think about your relationship with God, do you feel right now that you are close to him or do you feel like you're kind of far from him? You know, maybe more than you have been in the past. Do you, do you feel like you're moving, getting closer to God? Or are you maybe perhaps moving away from Him slowly? You know, not being intentional in your relationship with God and others in a way that, that brings you to draw near to Him. You know, and, and it's important for us to ask this question and recognize that in that and in any church, this is, this is true, that people are in different places. And, and the same is true in the world. But we do this weird thing in, in the church, in, in the West, just in general. And uh, we categorize things in an odd way. I want to show you this, this next image. This black circle represents the church. And when you look at that inside the church, inside that circle, black circle, you'll see that, well, some people are close to him, some are not as close. Some are moving towards him and some are moving far away. And the same is true for those outside of the church, right? The same is true for those outside of the circle. Some are moving towards him and some are moving away. But for some reason, we decided what we're going to do is if you're inside the circle, you're going to get discipled. You're going to get taught God's word. You're going to get to be in groups and, and, and grow emotionally and spiritually in that way, and you're going to be in community with other people. We're going to disciple you inside the circle, but if you're outside, you're going to get evangelism. You're going to get the gospel message, and that's the way we do discipleship in the church, evangelism outside of the church, and we view people and treat people in a way categorized by whether they are in church or not in church. It's not the way that Jesus did things, and I want to show you this next image. This is Jesus' awkward circle right here. So he actually categorized people in a different way, and we know this to be true, right? This is not new. We've, we've talked about in the past. Uh, he, he regularly chastised religious people for being far from him. Their hearts were hard. You know, they, they just were not the kind of people he typically wanted to spend time around a lot of the religious people. And then there are other times he was, uh, you know, he was criticized for spending time with sinners, that people thought he shouldn't spend time with. Jesus wasn't necessarily interested who was in the circle or out of the circle. He was interested in who was moving towards him, who was moving in a direction, who was drawing near to him. And we're going to get a chance today to kind of really unpack that for ourselves and for the people that are in our life when we look at Luke chapter 10. What is God calling us to do? How, how, what is the process for being workers in the harvest field? And this is where we start. We have to first of all start with a kind of a little bit of a different attitude and the mindset towards who are the people God calls us to reach and to meet and to serve. So we see the first thing is that we do is, uh, and we're going to categorize this in four words, spread, spot, stay, send. 
These are the four things we're going to take a look at today. And so first of all, we have to, we have to spread out. Jesus sent the disciples to go and knock every door, right? Knock every door. That's, don't decide ahead of time which house you think might receive you and which houses you think will reject you. That has nothing to do with my commandment. What you think doesn't matter. <laughs> go and knock every door and see what happens. This is really important for us to know because I think in our own lives, we, we do categorize people and think, I'm not going to waste my time with those people because this is how they will respond, as if you can tell the future, right? And, and we kind of decide ahead of time, a lot of times, who's going to receive the word and the, and the trust and the belief in Jesus and who's going to reject it. And so we just don't go there because we've decided already before we've even knocked on that door. Jesus tells them to spread out and go and knock that door. And for us, you know, those doors might be current places for you. You know, they might be places that you're already in at work or at school, in your neighborhood, with your family. There are people around you that you've decided, I'm not going to invest any time in sharing about Christ, in serving that person, in helping that person, because I already think I know how they're going to respond. But the first call is just go, just do it. Just go see Right? We'll get out there and we spread out. For others of us, those current places you know, that we have it to spread out to uh, is one thing. But for some of us, we have to look for and identify new places to spread, new opportunities to go to. For, for many of us, you know, we've talked about opportunities we have at our church, partnerships that we have, things like Eastside Ministries, where you can go and serve through the food bank or through the, the, the clothing uh, department there and get to meet new people uh, through, through that ministry or through our Women's Choice Resource Center or even uh, delivering meals with our Meals on Wheels service that comes out of the gym every day. Like There's a chance to go and knock doors, literally, and give food and have a chance every day to meet someone and talk to them uh, at the doorstep and, and begin to build a relationship. These are all things we've talked about of ways that we can spread. And I do know that for every person, your opportunity to spread is different. You, you have, in this, in this huge city or metroplex that we live in, opportunity to spread to places that I'm not going to spread to. But we did want to make you aware of some other opportunities that are kind of new to us here at City on a Hill. And one of those is Apartment Life. I mentioned it real briefly about three weeks ago. And Apartment Life, it started here in Arlington. The founder is from here. And it became a national uh, nonprofit organization that sends Christians into apartment communities to be a light of Jesus in that apartment community. So a, a couple or two single people will go and move into that apartment community with a goal to build relationships, to serve that community, with hopefully the chance to connect those people to truth, to hope, and to the body of Christ. It's the ultimate goal that they have. And it starts with going and putting on some events, meeting people, getting to know them, build relationships with them. And the apartment community managers eat this up because they know the value that having an apartment community of people that know each other and have relationships with each other and are friendly towards each other, it, 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 the word gets out. This is a nice place to live. It's profitable for that manager. It's a good thing for him. But for, for, the, for us, for those who are there with a, a goal, with more of a kingdom mindset than a material mindset, this is an opportunity. 
And uh, we already have our first couple from City on the Hill move, uh, interviewing in the process of moving into an apartment. And they have opportunities uh, right here on our doorstep. We have one apartment community that is about five minutes from our church that are looking for a married couple or two single people to move in and go be a light of Christ in that place. It's an amazing thing. In return, you, do, you get 70% off of your rent, which is pretty awesome too, because you're working and serving and giving a lot of time to, to this opportunity, but there's an amazing chance to spread. Uh, another uh, ministry I was made aware of um, that is uh, close to our church uh, really kind of uh, spoke to me in a personal way. You know, my story uh, is my parents uh, married real young. My mom was 19. My dad was 20 when they married. And uh, my mom had me when she was 20 years old. And um, they uh, began really early on when my sister and I were real, real little kids uh, to begin fostering kids in their home, in our home. And uh, over the course of about five years or six years, they fostered 35 children in our home. We actually moved out of our home into a bigger house that was uh, funded by a nonprofit organization for this purpose of, of foster care. And... Um, they had one goal. My parents had this one goal. My mom actually grew up in the foster care system and had some bad experiences in that process and um, decided we're going to make this the last foster care home any of these kids ever go to. This is, this is either going, they're going to be reunited with their family in a safe and a healthy way or they're going to be adopted by a new family that's going to love them and care for them or they're going to age out. <laughs> Like, this is, the last, this is the last place. And of the 35 kids that came to my mom and dad, every single one of them, that is truth of their story today. There was the last home. They were either reunited safely with their family, they were adopted by another family, or there was two that uh, became 18 and uh, aged out. And, um, and, you know, I know that the, the impact that that had. And the Safe Families, when I met with Miss Laurie, who is one of the directors for Safe Families here in uh, DFW, and she began to tell me that this is an alternative to government-ran foster care. This is to help these families that are in crisis to be able to stay together, that their kids aren't taken from them forever and, and they can't get back together. There's an opportunity for, for us as believers to say, yes, we want to help families stay together. We want to come alongside those families, the mom, the kids. And there's different ways we can do that. We can have the kids in our home as, as, uh, as uh, carers, as hospitality, as, as an extended family to those kids. Obviously, there's training and there's a lot of things that goes into it. But you can, you can do it on that level. Or you can be a friend of mom as kind of like a mentor to the mom and come alongside as a help. Perhaps you can help her get to places she needs to be and, and give her some encouragement and take for lunch, you know, and just be a, be a light in that way. But there, there's so many, there's more opportunities out there in DFW to spread out, to make a difference than we can manage. You know, and sometimes, you know, we have to look at, at what God's made us to do and look at what God's calling us to do, how he's made me. And when we look for those opportunities, we go to the ones that, that we know we can make a difference in. Some of you hear this and say, there's no way I could make an impact in that particular way. But there is ways out there for you to spread. But if one of those does, you know, ring a bell with you, though, and it does it sound like something you'd like to do, 
we can help you connect you with those people because we would love to see uh, apartment life making a difference across our city. We would love, say, families to be making a bigger impact than it currently is as well. And we can definitely help you with that. But we have to... Um, we have to get out there and knock the doors, not decide ahead of time who's going to receive it. We have to look sometimes for new opportunities to, to meet people. Um, and you know what? Sometimes it's, it's not always safe. You know, listen to what this verse says in verse 3 that we already read. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Like, it's, it's not saying that there's possibly going to be some risk or some you know, challenges. It's not like you're the one deciding to go out and look for risk. Jesus says, I'm sending you into a dangerous situation. Like, I'm telling you to go where you need to take a risk. And, and this, to me, is, is, is a, a difference sometimes in when we calculate the opportunities we're going to take. Our safety becomes too high of a priority, I think, sometimes in our decision-making. And it's hard. It, it, I understand it's really hard, and I do the same thing. It's just why I can stand here and, and talk about this. But we, we calculate risk as being the most important factor when sometimes we just need to go. Right? We just need to be obedient and go out there and trust God and, and, and use wisdom. But we need to sometimes know that we're going to be out there in the midst of wolves. Um, my question for you this morning is, you know, what risk do you need to take? You know, is there opportunities out there that you've been avoiding because it was too risky for you? But there's opportunity out there where you could share about Christ and be the light of Jesus and help and serve people, but you didn't do it just because it was, it, it was a little bit uncomfortable or it was a little bit too challenging or required a little bit too much of a sacrifice. You know, Jesus is sending us out as sheep among wolves, and there's a risk that we all need to take. So we spread out. And the next part here is that then we have to spot people. We have to spot what the passage says, spot the people of peace. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And it's hard to know how to determine who a son of peace is. It's not really language that we typically use you know, in 2021, and, and so I really understand and identify, you know, as we get out there, as we make opportunities to meet new people, how do I spot the people who are coming towards Jesus, that are coming in that right direction? Well, some questions you, you might can ask yourself, is this person asking spiritual questions of any kind? You know, are they, are they talking about what you believe and asking you questions about your belief, even if they kind of combat it? It's, it's sometimes it's, it's an indicator that they have interest, that they're moving at least in the right direction of discovery, of exploring. You know, perhaps you know people as you get out there that are hurt, they're hurting, and for the first time, they're making steps towards really trying to find help for that, for that hurt, that something that happened to them. And as hard and awkward as it is, we know we have a place that we can, we can help them. You know, perhaps you know people who are um, just kind of stuck in a rut in their life and they've been trying to get out of it by their own means, you know, whether they've been medicating themselves to, to get, just ignore the fact or whether they've been trying to work monetarily to try and think money's going to help. And you just know people that they're stuck in a situation and they're admitting that what I've been doing is not helping me feel any better about my life. Like I'm not, I'm not changing, I'm not content, I'm not happy. And, and just the fact that they confess and admit that 
what the way they're living their life doesn't bring contentment and peace is an indicator that they're moving in the right direction. There's an opportunity for us to share what we do know to be true. Um, you know, uh, right here in, um, in DFW, uh, we've been working with an organization that is partnered with uh, George Barner. And uh, Barner kind of looks for the statistics of what's really going on in people's lives, in Christianity, and in the world. And uh, he uh, partnered with people who were willing to donate a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars, to creating uh, ads that go out on Facebook and on Google. So when somebody in four different, there's four different cities that are a part of this uh, program right now, and this is one of them. DFW is one of those four areas, and our church is a part of that program here in DFW. And somebody searches, uh, in our area, searches uh, that they're feeling depressed and they need help. The first thing that comes up is church's care. We have someone that can help you. It costs hundreds of dollars per person to be able to connect with that person. Um, and they click and they send something and we get it and we can reach out and connect with them, right? And that's what we've been, we've been trying our best to do. But here's what I found, man. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of people out there that are going to a computer screen or a phone screen to search for help. Like just in this last about month, uh, there's been more than 500 people that have been connected to a church saying, hey, this is something that's going on right now. And that's just here in our small little area. And, and they hope, I imagine, that these people come into contact with Christians on a regular basis, but they go into their phone screens to ask for help, to look for help. And, and we have an opportunity, you know, loneliness, anxiety, relationships, sadness, these are some of the, uh, the biggest uh, searches that people are putting out there. I need help with these things. And you know people that are feeling lonely. You know people who are feeling depressed, that are wrestling with uh, depression in their life or they're wrestling with addiction in their life. And these are the people that, that we can go to and help. And hopefully, you know, they don't have to rely on technology to help them. But they've got the light of Christ. The body of Christ is going to them and, and is around them. But there's people out there. This is my point. There are people out there that are exploring help. I need help. I don't know what the answer is. But guess what? You do. You know what the answer is. You know the hope that they're looking for. You know the truth that they're searching for. And even if they don't agree with you yet, you know what it is. And we can share that with people and we can offer that to people. And so as we, we spread out and we knock these doors and we put ourselves into different places, identifying the people that uh, are like Jesus were, people that were coming towards him and staying with them is, is the, next, the next part of what we have to do. So we, we spread out, we spot them, and then we have to stay with them. It says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so like, we have to develop this like, perseverance. You know, we identify these people that need help, that are exploring, that are seeking, that are asking questions and moving in, in, in a way as slowly as it might seem. And we stick with them. We stay with them. We don't disappear when things don't go quite how we want it to straight away. 
You know, that's not how we, we treat people. We stick it out. We stay with those people. You know, there were 37 times, uh, 37 accounts of Jesus performing miracles in Scripture. Of some of those accounts, was hundreds of people was healed, right? But there were 37 different accounts, and eight of those times was in response to somebody bringing somebody to him. Right, So about 20% of the accounts in Scripture of a healing happening by Jesus was in response to somebody bringing somebody to him. Well, there's some examples of that here. Um, in um, Mark 2, uh, we see the paralytic man. You remember this story. It says they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus heals this man that someone else had brought to him and, and made a way to get him in front of Jesus. Mark 8, a blind man. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. You know, so they not were only bringing somebody, but they were begging Jesus to heal him. And Jesus heals this man. In Matthew 9, there was a demon-possessed man. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And in Matthew 19, we see the story we talked about uh, fairly recently about the children. People were trying to bring the children to him, and the disciples were ushering them away, trying to send them away. And Jesus wasn't very happy about that, and he said, bring them to me, and he blessed the children. And there's these, these instances where people are being brought to Jesus, they're healed, and, and I look at those, those stories, and I notice a pattern in these eight, these eight things. These were people who couldn't get to Jesus without help. Okay, Anytime somebody could make their own willful decision to get to him, we see a lot of those stories. Right? They, they're making it happen for themselves. The woman fighting through the crowd who was bleeding and touched the hem, and she's healed out of her willful, like, belief and, and pursuing Jesus, she's healed. But these eight instances were people who they couldn't walk to him. They couldn't physically get to him. They couldn't see where he was. And, and, and there were people here that were either physically unable to get to him or they were spiritually unable to. And, and they were blind spiritually, this demon possessment that was so oppressed that, you know, that he had seizures and was known as a crazy man. These were people that were brought because they couldn't do it of their own accord. And there are people you know in your life that need you to bring them. They need you to, they're unable, whether it's in a physical sense or if they're just spiritually blind, they need you to bring them. And we don't know what God is going to do in their life when they're around his people, when they're in his presence, whether it's in worship or if it's in something as the word is being taught, whether it's just experiencing community the way the Bible says it should be. You know, we have to bring people to him and and give them a chance to experience God and be healed. And, um, you know, we created three days ago, this is brand new, okay, we created a new opportunity because we know for sure there are people out there in our city that want to be connected to a church and they just don't have a means to, physically means to get here, right? And so we've created a, a new opportunity called Rides to Church, and it does what it says on the tin. It gives you a chance, if you don't have a ride, to request one. You go to the website, the City on the Hill website, click options, click rides to church, 
and you can tell us when you need a ride, where you live, and uh, we will make a connection with somebody who's coming past your house to come to church that has a spare seat and a willing heart to come and stop by and pick you up and take you home on, on the way home. The problem is, if we have people needing a ride, requesting a ride, and we don't have any riders, we don't have any drivers, we don't have anyone yet signed up because this is three days old, so I need the church to get ahead of this. I need the church to get on here today and tell me, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do that. If it's somebody is on my way to church and I can stop by and get them, I have an empty seat and I can pick them up and, and bring them, we really, really want that. You know, some churches give out promo codes for Uber and pay the Uber fee, right? There's ways that people are helping others get to church, which is a step in the right direction. But the relationship, the connection that happens when somebody in the church not only comes and brings them, says, hey, come sit with me. <laughs> you know, like there's a connection that's personal. Uh, it just goes far beyond the bill being paid for, for a taxi fare, you know. And um, this is a risk. This is one of, those, one of those things that people are maybe afraid of doing and they're scared and it's weird and it's different. But we need, we need the church. We need people to step up and say, yep, I've got an empty seat. Tell me what I need to do. And uh, yeah, there, there's some background check stuff we can do with you and we can kind of work through. We have a process. We fought through this. All you have to do is sign up and we'll get you the information of what, what we need to do. But we need you to do this. We need people that can help in this way. And this is a way to spread out, to spot people and to get to stay with them and get to really know them and, and be making a difference in this practical, uh, practical way. And um, I don't know what, um, what my mentor, uh, Paul, is going to think about this, but I actually improved this, uh, this whole idea, this illustration. It spread, spot, stay, and send. There's actually another part to this that I, some, I think sometimes gets overlooked. And, and it is that sometimes we have to stop. You know, and this is the hardest part for me. This is the hardest part of, of, try, of this passage of, of trying to be obedient to get out into the harvest is that this part here in verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. That this, this part's just so hard. I don't, I don't know, know where to draw the line. And I'm just being honest about that, it's the, it's the hardest part for me to figure out. When, when do I move on? You know, when do I know that somebody's not going to accept the truth that you have to share? But there is a time, the scripture's saying, there is a time where you have to do that. And for some of us, that's really hard to hear because you have family members or friends, people you've been trying to reach, and you are wrestling with that same, that same question. You know, is this, is this a fruitless effort? And it sure sometimes feels like that. And it does say there's a time. And I think one of the things we, we learn about this is actually two things. We're not responsible for their response. It's, you know, this verse in verse 10 says, when you enter a town and they do not receive you. They don't receive your message. This is their choice. This is a, this is a clear identifier that you, you have shared the truth with them and they have actively rejected it. Okay, that, that is a point at which you can know, okay, maybe this is a time for me to not continue to invest the same amount of energy and effort into that relationship. Um, but nevertheless, it says, no this, the kingdom of God has come near. We leave them with the truth. We don't all of a sudden don't care. <laughs> 
right? We don't all of a sudden stop wanting for them to find help and hope and, and find Christ and be saved and get healthy. You no, know, we don't stop caring about that. But there are times where they reject us. And we see this, uh, with this to be true. And this is a hard passage for any of us to hear. Uh, in 1 Corinthians verse three, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And, and that's true for us. We have a part to play, right? We have a part to play in this obedience. Spread out. Spot the people who are coming close to him. Stay with them. Invest in them. Help them. Serve them. Do what you can to get the truth to them. Be consistent. Persevere. But then there are times where they don't accept it. They, they don't receive it, that we have to move on. And no, but we are powerless over their decision. You know, we, we can only do our part. And, and we have to do our part. But there's a time where we have to admit it's not my, my part now for them to receive it. I can't make that happen. And uh, that's hard for any lizard to hear. <laughs> you know, like we want, we want to get out there and know that and feel like everything we do is going to produce a life in somebody, and it doesn't always happen the way we think or in the timing that we put on it. Uh, I think sometimes we have to persevere more. I think if there's a sliver of hope, I keep going, <laughs> you know, and, and so that's where we have to ask for God's wisdom and help um, to guide us to know when to stop and when to press and continue in, in, in that relationship. Uh, but then the last part here is send, okay, spread spots, stay Send. For those who did not respond to the truth, who do not accept Jesus, who do not confess him as Lord, uh, you know, we have to move on. But for those who do, here's a challenge that some of us are uh, not going to like, but some of us need to learn to get over ourselves and send them to go do the same thing that you did. You know, I think there are times where we think all of a sudden, you know, this person, they've come to accept Christ, they're growing, they're starting to learn, and we have gotten into our heads all of a sudden that I know more, I'm more mature, I've been doing this Christian thing longer, so I should be out there being a lizard. This person, they just need to, like, keep feeding, you know. They don't need to get out there yet. They're not ready. You're not ready. <laughs> None of us are ready. None are ever going to be perfect to get out there and be obedient to Christ. Don't hinder somebody because you feel like they've got more to learn. We all have more to learn. We always will. We will always make mistakes. But sometimes this process, we spread out, we spot people, we stay with them, invest in them. What we don't always do well is release them. Give them opportunity. Encourage them to get out there and, and do this. And, and don't look down on people. You know, and think that just because they're early Christians or in this journey themselves, that there's not some way that God's going to use them in, in reaching other people, in, in doing what Jesus has commanded them to do. If they believe, they have to go, and you have to help them. You have to release them. And so uh, we're going to finish out here with just this, with this short challenge. You know, and you've got these four different parts of the process. And for every one of you, um, you know, there may be a different part of this that you need God to help you with. For some of you, uh, you need to ask God to help you to find new opportunities to spread out 
and to meet people. Some of you uh, need God's help to, to be able to end those moments. I do that really well, but I don't really do a great job of identifying who's the right people to invest extra time in and care for and, and, and share truth with. Uh, some of you, you need to pray. Perhaps uh, God will give you just perseverance and patience with the people that you are trying to reach with, with his word. And others of you need to let go of somebody. You need to let them go because they rejected him, or you need to let them go into the harvest because the workers are few, and we need everyone that is a believer to be able to get out there and do that. Let me pray, and we're going to finish here. Look, Father, I thank you so much that you're with us in all of the things that you call us to, that you, you send us out and uh, you give us a mission here in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, Right here on our doorstep, there are people that need you, and we have that truth and that hope in our hearts that we can go share with them. And you would encourage, help, direct, and give us wisdom as we just try and do what you've called us to do. And whatever part of this process, Father, that we struggle with, we know that you can help us. And we just pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Hey, I just want to say, uh, I said this to first service after listening, that uh, Chris is a great example of why having diversity in gifting on a church staff is so important. Uh, as he said, I'm a frog through and through. I'm not a it's lizard. great looking frog though, Daniel. And, uh, and I don't pretend to be. And, and case in point, I, I mentioned at the welcome the Trunk or Treat initiative that we're, that we're doing on October 30th. We had this whole planning meeting. Chris's wife, for those of you who don't know, is our, our children's pastor, Emma, from Australia. And uh, <laughs> she's not from Australia. And, uh, but she loves it when you, when you ask her if she is. Um, she has been largely in charge of the Trunk or Treat initiative in the past. And uh, so her and Kelsey, our worship pastor, and Morgan Phillips, our media coordinator, got together to plan because Kelsey and Morgan are, are very integral in the marketing and kind of pushing out on social media and all that. And so they got together and had this whole planning meeting, and they emailed Chris and I, and I think a couple of other staff members, just to kind of let us know what they came up with. And uh, not too long after that, I get another email from Chris responding to the group, and he had all these suggestions. And when I pulled it up initially, I was like, oh, come on, Chris, don't make this complicated. But then I started reading about it, and I was like, yeah, these are all really good ideas. Why didn't we think of this? It's because we're not lizards. Yeah. We don't think like lizards. We don't ask lizard questions, and he does. And so uh, I'm grateful for his challenge to us as a church body. We need that kind of voice pushing us and challenging us to think outside of ourselves and think about those people who need to hear the gospel, uh, even when it's a little uncomfortable for us. Uh, Jesus told us this wouldn't be an easy, an easy life. And so uh, we need to embrace that, I think, a little bit better. So thank you yeah. very much. You know, we had, a, uh, we had an image planned of, of you with a frog face on it. I'm sure. But we were kind to you. Morgan was kind to you. She ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> ribbit, ribbit. Thank you, guys. God bless you. See you next time.